1: Hey, it's Fitz, and if you don't know who I am, here's a quick bio. I'm a veteran sports journalist who writes, does TV, radio, and is a longtime podcaster. Also, I have stage 4 prostate cancer, so during the initial stages of the COVID-19 outbreak, my doctors advised me to stay at home. But now... A little more than a year later, I'm fully vaccinated and I've rejoined society, but I'm still continuing this podcast when I'm calling the many friends, athletes, coaches, and colleagues who I've met throughout my 30 years in this industry. Plus this year, I'm going to be calling some people and making new friends. Oh, and I'm hitting the record button. Welcome to my life and the life of Fitz podcast. Welcome to the second season of the Life of Fitz podcast. If you haven't listened before, this podcast was born of the pandemic and mostly the lockdown. So what do you do with season two? I mean, do you keep trying to call people? Folks, I reconnected with 30 plus people. There's only so many conversations one can have with people from your life. Yeah, I could keep digging deeper and deeper. And there were some people I never did connect with. And I will attempt to do so here during season two. But it's time to expand the horizons and make this podcast about more than what I have experienced. I will be connecting with people that I've never spoken with as we move beyond the borders of what was the pandemic in my lockdown in a home office in the upstairs of our house here in Manhattan, Kansas. We now have a nice studio office in the basement of our house in which I work every day. So how do I kick off season two? Well, I decided to turn the tables on myself. I decided to reintroduce myself to many of you. I know a lot of you at goparacat.com know me darn well, but others may not. So today's guest is your host. It's kind of weird. I am the first guest of this season, and I have brought in my pal Ryan Gilbert, who I met on his podcast, to actually run the show today and do the interview. Welcome to the Life of Fitz podcast with Tim Fitzgerald in Manhattan, Kansas. Gills, how you doing, man?
2: Good. How are you? Shouldn't I be asking
1: you that question? Yeah, I know, okay. I know. I know. I'm not, I'm used to hosting now. Are you it's, sure you want to do this with me? <laughs> yeah, I, I am. I am. I. You know, it's funny about this is when I started podcasting, brother. I. I didn't know how to do anything but be the guest. I'd been on radio for years, and I never had hosted. I was always the guest. And now I'm hosting stuff all the time, and it's weird to have it turned around. But uh, you're very good at this. That's why I brought you on, and uh, I'll just turn it over to you now. Well, good. You talked about
2: it earlier in the intro, the reason you had to you yeah. know, get into this life of fits, being hunkered down during the pandemic a year ago. I mean, how tough was that? I mean, I can't
1: imagine. I yep. cannot it was mentally tough, man. It was extremely mentally challenging. Um, you know, besides the cancer and other health things I've been through, I, you know, I take happy pills every day for depression. And the pandemic, for all of us who have had those type of things, being locked up, being confined, um, it, it was really difficult. And and on top of that, Gills, you know me already. I'm a social person. I like being around people. And, uh, even this t- still remains difficult. I'm, I'm glad that you and the other guys that are on our podcast can come over at l- least once a week. And, but there'll be days on end where I don't leave the house and well, these dogs are, are pretty much my life. And when my wife comes home from work and I get to see her. It's, it's a weird existence, but yeah, the, the pandemic sucked. Um, we lost a lot of people along the way that, uh, honestly, um, didn't need to die, not because of COVID, but because of suicide. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's the secret, the untold toll of the pandemic. It was difficult, but, um, stupid podcast tell me through it really did it it was really good to have you know weekly conversations with people and we delved in you know about an hour with everyone and this year we might do a little bit shorter but yeah, it was fun It was, the, the podcast was really an important part it wasn't just content for me it was it was mental health what was the longest you went without leaving your house because for me
2: it was probably a day or two because you know i was at pizza Hut delivering those pizzas so i was pretty much living as normal as i could but What was your record? Do you know?
1: I don't. I think it was like six weeks. Wow. I think I was pretty much in the house for six weeks. Uh, And then that changed a little bit because I've got a bad back. Uh, Radiation treatments for my uh, prostate cancer zapped my body pretty good, including my lower back. So I have ongoing back issues now. And being fat doesn't help that. But um, So I had uh, physical therapy that I'd go see her and you know work on strengthening my back but that was literally up the street that's like two blocks away so i I would go up there once a week maybe twice a week and and see uh, a very very good physical therapist but yeah it was it was a mess it was just Mm -hmm. unbelievable how how long i was confined and 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 looking back how comical it was that i i really did think it was going to be 15 days you know Mm -hmm. went to the store and loaded up and and uh, got bought, toilet paper, got got some toilet paper and some ramen. I was ready, man. I was ready in case we, we were cut off from the outside world and the zombies were out there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it was difficult. Let's talk about your cancer. Obviously, anyone that knows
2: you knows your story, and this is why you had to be, um, you know, confined in your home. How is how's your cancer going? I know, are you in? remission or what's the
1: no not technically yet um yeah that's a the point of confusion when i tell people there's no signs of active cancer right now they assume that means remission unfortunately it doesn't the staging of prostate cancer is kind of weird um you know everyone knows cancer stages and stage four is the highest the worst and there's almost like two stage fours in in prostate cancer there's metastatic which means it's in your blood it's in uh your bones your lymphatic system, um, and that's bad. In fact, I've mentioned I've got a buddy that a lot of people know, and he isn't public yet about it, who has that, um, and it's it's really bad. Stage four for prostate cancer, though, is marked by the spread of the cancer outside of the prostate to any other part of your body. Stage three is it's in your prostate, kind of breaks the shell. The, The prostate's kind of like an egg. It has a shell around it. And I've got some good friends that have had that. But it doesn't go anywhere. It just kind of, it's looking to go, but it doesn't get there. Unfortunately, mine went into my bladder. So the next step would be to remove my bladder, which I am strangely uh, eager about if that—if it comes to that. And it's <coughs> a weird detail, I know. But yeah, so they did very intense radiation on me. And as of now, we're a good, God, what are we? Is it coming up on two years of outside of my radiation? A year and a half now. Uh, no signs of active cancer. And so by the end of radiation, they usually want two years of no active cancer mm-hmm. before they consider you in remission. But anyone who's at cancer knows remission doesn't really mean anything. Uh, cancer yeah. can be lurking in there in such, you know, minute amounts that nothing picks it up and then it starts replicating and shows back up. In fact, that's very common for prostate cancer that spreads. And the reason they make you stage four is, um, Stages one through three, life expectancy is, you know, pretty much unaffected because they can cure it. I mean, they you, they remove your prostate or they zap it that you just don't have it anymore in your body. Anytime it spreads, your life expectancy drops to about five or six years on average. And that's you know I'm halfway through the six year cycle. They they told me I would be winning if I made sixty and I turned fifty seven on June first. You're getting there. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm I'm gonna kick this thing, man. I'm I'm uh, trying to kill it with positivity, which mm-hmm. I think is a big part of beating cancer. And you caught it. Purely by chance, right? Yeah, oh, man, so. purely by chance. there's There's been a couple of things here that, you know, make me wonder about um, were there higher forces mm-hmm. involved? Um, my dad was a football coach, high school football coach. And after having some children, he decided he needed to get into something, uh, a better way to support your family. And my, my grandfather on my mother's side was a vice president of State Farm he was in, in, in charge of the Michigan region. And my parents met in Michigan. They were both teachers and um, he got into insurance. I mean, it was kind of a family business. And so I was born actually in West Palm Beach and then moved to Columbia, Missouri. Thank good. We didn't stay and uh, ended up in Salina, Kansas. So he was in the life insurance business. He, by the time I was born, he wasn't selling. He was a manager, a trainer, a coach—basically, coaching other agents. So, what happened was, are we had some term life insurance policies that were expiring, so we went to get new policies. I knew Becky wouldn't be a problem because she's in good health and she's got horrible taste in men, but she's a very healthy woman, <laughs> and. Um, I I knew I'd be a problem because I'm obese. And sure enough, uh, the first company we went to, I got rejected for that. And the second company we went to, it was, you know, an online company that says they can get anyone insurance. And both of those policies required examinations. Little did I know they were scoring my PSA in both of them. Gills, I didn't know what a PSA score was, the prostate-specific antigen score. The first one flagged it as caution you're getting close it was kind of it was orange nobody said anything to me though I guess I was supposed to read my own I mean I was rejected for obesity why would I go ahead and read my whole lab report I mean nothing about obesity would be on there the second one was taken two weeks later from the same lab so there's a consistency there that's important in scoring PSAs And I had gone up almost a full point in two weeks, which is extremely fast. And the agent called me from Orlando and told me, to get to your doctor. Now, I was with Bradley Gates covering the NCAA tournament down in Atlanta when that call came in. And one of my best friends from my fraternity days... His name's Tad Christian, and Tad lives in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's had stage three prostate cancer. He was kind of the first of our group. And there's a group of us in the house that makes you wonder if it wasn't somehow Mm -hmm. related to that. We were pretty sketchy, so who knows? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But So the next night, um, Tad and I went out to dinner and talked, and uh, that began my education. Uh, Well, my education of what prostate cancer is about actually started when I hung up with the insurance agent and Googled PSA score because I had no clue. But uh, So I can say that my my first in-depth conversation about prostate cancer happened at a classy joint called Hooters. I don't know if you've (laughs) ever been to one, but they have delicious wings.
2: How long was it when you had that conversation until you were in your
1: first surgery? It was fast, man. I, I mean, it was fast. I went and, and saw a urologist here in town and eventually changed to his partner um, because um, his partner's a younger guy who does the robotic surgery. But, you know, they, they did all the fun tests. You know, aside from blood tests, they do uh, a exam. Honestly, they put a spaceship up your butt. I mean, it felt like that. And um, they take out core samples of your prostate essentially the punch holes in it pull out uh, so that they, there's two sides to prostate. So they can decide how much cancer is there. And I was heavily involved on the left side of my prostate. They found nothing on my right side. So that was good. Mm-hmm. That means it's not advancing that fast. But um, when I finally got with Philippe Brasso, my urologist and now friend, who I think I'll have on the season of the podcast, we immediately scheduled a surgery. The earliest date they had available was July 3rd. Now, and that seems weird to schedule a surgery on July third when you're going to be in the hospital a couple of days, right? <laughs> well, I'm not a fan of fireworks, and my neighbor Will, who I love dearly as a buddy, loves fireworks. So uh, I thought, what a perfect chance to get away from Will's giant explosions. <laughs> so they, you know, wheel me in and do the surgery. They also had some other things to do while in there. I had some abdominal uh, hernias that they needed to solve in my obesity was a problem because this was the, I was the biggest guy they'd done the surgery on and they actually strap you down to a table and flip you balls up. I mean, that's the area they're working with mm-hmm. so that, the the robot that he's actually directing has access. I was under for six hours. Wow. Um, it, there were some complications, but Doc Rosso said as soon as he saw the field, um, the prostate, he knew we had problems. Uh, I think, th- think the way he described it to me, after I finally woke up, said it was the meanest looking cancer I'd ever seen and okay. And what you know anyone who's dealt with cancer, any doctor will tell you you can kind of look at it mm-hmm. say that's you know benign that's once you get in there and look at it and he said it it was broken out of the prostate, it had tentacles reaching out, trying to grab other parts of my body, and had gotten a hold of my bladder and crawled in to my bladder via the bladder neck. So he was right there. He was faced with a decision. Do I take the bladder right now and wake him up and say, Hey, you're going to pee in a bag for the rest of your life. And he said, I couldn't, I didn't want to do that to you mentally Mm -hmm. because just the whole cancer journey is terrifying. But he also said, I don't think you would have survived the surgery because being under that long at your size was, we were in perilous times. So I woke up and they told me everything. They said, dude, you're stage four. I mean, they, they had, expected me to be two or three but my cancer is so aggressive was so aggressive that it was it was moving hyperspeed so yeah so that was july 3rd of what 18 mm-hmm. man it was a weird weird time they used some kind of different anesthesia on me too man that put me so deep under i thought i died i thought what when, when i went under uh, have you ever been under anesthesia Only for my wisdom teeth. Um, Yeah, you just kind of drift off. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, you just kind of, okay, I'm falling asleep now. I don't know what I... He told me what they use, the anesthesiologist. But they needed me down because I was going to be on that table for a long time. And if you wake up in the slightest way and move, um, you you screw up the robot. So, uh, when I went under, I felt like the whole room folded in on me. Mm. And I sunk down into... What, have you seen the movie Get Out? Nope. No. I wish. Yeah, it's a great movie. But when he goes under, when they when he gets drugged, he he fell, feels like he's falling into a well. That's exactly what I felt like. I thought I died. Mm-hmm. It was weird. It was horrible. It mm-hmm. was terrifying. Is that the worst part? Actually, you know, the worst part about the whole journey was the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, Still is. Yeah, it is. Is it cancer? Or is it not cancer? Is it what? What is it? Is it serious? Is it not serious? And every step of the way, information, even if it was bad news, is comforting. It's weird. You know, when I, they told me it was cancer, I went out and I had a buddy in town, my good friend Ron from down in Tulsa, another fraternity brother, and Ron Bethel and I went and had a beer. <laughs> and um, to almost celebrate that I had cancer because I knew what my battle was. The unknown was gone, and I knew I was in for a serious fight, but let's get it on, and and the clarity really helps in, in any health battle, even if it's bad news, knowing what you're up against is good for your mental health. So did you know, I mean, did your body have ah, symptoms? Yeah, like looking that. back, um, I had some signs I didn't realize, I just thought it was, I was getting older and I was obese yeah. um, and, and I'm very open about everything I've gone through. I think it's important. I've started a foundation uh, that really kind of got sidelined by the pandemic too. Um, the nonprofit is aimed at educating men. And I had started to have some erectile dysfunction, but not, not anything bad. And I was having some leakage with my bladder when I drank, but nothing too bad. In hindsight, now I know what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, post-surgery, I had pretty good bladder control. The, The prostate helps men. That's what you learn to control when you're a boy is your prostate. Um, and it also is the pathway of your semen. So when they cut that pathway, you're, you're shooting blanks, even if you can shoot. And uh, so don't worry, folks, uh, there will be no young Tim Fitzgerald's in the world. We have saved the world, (laughs) Uh, but they salvaged a nerve. There's two nerves that help you with your erectile function. They salvaged one. It takes a while for the nerve to kind of come out of shock. But then I, I immediately went into the radiation and, that zapped my bladder and that nerve pretty well, and I'm worse off um, in all areas post-radiation than I was post-surgery because they just fried the entire field, and that's that's okay. If it got the cancer, that's great, but it also really stiffened up the bladder. My bladder control isn't what I, it used to be and even post-surgery, and so it it's it's been tough. It's a lot of embarrassing stuff that I'm not embarrassed to talk about. Maybe some nights after Tanner's. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be careful folks. (laughs) Would
2: you say that's getting better as far as just like your back and your bladder and it's
1: getting worse? It's just kind of sucks. Yeah. The back flares up, goes away, flares up. Um, I'm not exactly sure what happened, but I think it's just damaged the lower back muscles. I mean, Mm -hmm. radiation And, and they did the max amount They did 39 high radiation doses targeted, uh, mostly targeted at the bladder, but then some of them were larger field so that if it had spread. But no, it's not gotten better. And if the cancer comes back it's in it was in my bladder and if it's still in my bladder they'll take the bladder out. That should solve it if if it hasn't spread beyond the bladder. Uh and then I'll get to sleep through the night because I'll have, you know, the Foley bag hanging on my nightstand. <laughs> and uh post surgery you're you're um hooked up to a catheter for 10 days. I was 10 days. Uh, So I've got a catheter, a tube down my peeing into a bag. Sounds horrible. I was terrified of it. I was, it was one of the worst things. I was like, I don't, oh God, it was fine, man. I had no problems with it. In fact, as I said, I slept through the night. I told you last night, I fell asleep at 1am and got up at two to pee. I mean, getting up all the time to pee is just not a good way to get a good night's sleep. And so I was getting great sleep. And also we're, we're gardeners. We do a lot of gardening. Um, and I walked out my front door one day and my new neighbor, uh, who we, we love our neighbors looked at me and said, what are you doing? I'm carrying my Foley bag in my hand. I said, I've got a bag of urine and I've got a rabbit issue on my hostas and I'm going to solve that right now. So, um, yeah. Uh, they have to take my bladder out. I'm going to sleep through the night. I'm going to have a plentiful supply of urine to keep the wildlife out of my gardens. So there are some positives to all negatives. Put
2: put aside the fact that,
1: you know, you might've died if he
2: did take out your bladder, but do you just wish he would have done that or no?
1: Yeah. In some ways. I mean, yeah, that that's the the issue is. I probably wouldn't have come out of surgery. I I didn't realize. My sister's a PA, and uh, so Doc Rosso had a medical conversation with Amy about how bad it was and how, you know, my size. In fact, they strapped me down so hard, Gills, that um, I still have neuropathy, which is your nerves firing in weird ways, they impinged nerves in my shoulders because they had strapped me down so I couldn't move. In Mm -hmm. fact, as I push on that right now, it's still Mm -hmm. sore. And so I had really bad nerve pain in my shoulders post-surgical. And nerve pain sucks, man. Nerve pain is the worst pain I've ever had. And I suffer from migraines, but nerve pain, because there's no way to solve it. I mean, nerves, basically, when when you experience hot, cold pain, it just sends a message to your brain, hey... You know, it's this is going on. So if you're numbed up, you don't that message doesn't go through. Well, what if the message is a lie? Your nerves are telling your brain, hey, your hands are on fire. Move your hands away from the fire. But you're laying in bed. And that's what neuropathy is. Gotcha. So it moved from my shoulders to my hands. And then one day I'm laying in bed. It was the middle of the day in tears because my hands are on fire. They feel like the flesh is being burnt. It was awful. Now it's kinda of settled in. It still shows up my shoulders settled into my feet. Uh, but that too is lessened. I mean, it feels like someone's drilling into your bones sometimes or or putting needles into your feet. It's lovely. But um I do wish he'd kind of taken the bladder. In hindsight, knowing everything I know now, everything I go through on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it'd be nice to just walk in the bathroom three times a day and empty a bag, which is weird to think about. As scared as I was of the catheter, to think of that being permanent, and I wouldn't have a catheter. They would just tube it out, a port in my hip. Really? Yeah. Really? It's weird. Yeah. They would just connect an internal tube to my bladder, and i have a, a port on my hip, and then my urine would come down a tube to a back of my, strap to my leg, or I could carry it around, So, hmm. which is fun hey, here's a bag hearing. <laughs> Let's give you a chance to, to preach your
2: message um, with this question. How often do you get your PSA tested nowadays?
1: I go see my oncologist. Unfortunately, my my chosen oncologist moved, and he he worked at Menorah Medical in Kansas City. Um, it's probably in an area of town where you're very familiar. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was wonderful, but he was a former – Doc Rasso knew him from – KU Med, he taught at KU Med, uh, and Dr. Peter Van is what everyone calls him. He got a teaching position in Rochester, New York, so he left, and so now I'm with his partner, who's actually the breast cancer expert. But I'm in a phase right now where it doesn't matter that much. So every three months, I'm going next week or two weeks from now, and we'll uh, take that PSA score again mm-hmm. before I go. And it's been nominal, you know, zero. As far as the the computer, the scaling, the measurement can see, so it's all good. But um, if you're over forty-five, and docs will tell you fifty, some will tell you fifty-five, but some will tell you don't take it. Get your PSA scored. It's just a simple blood test, and it is the best and only true indicator of prostate cancer or other prostate issues. And some doctors don't do it because you can get a false positive, so they don't. Do I can it. ask you about that. Yeah which is insane to me. So there were some medical recommendations in the nineties and early two thousands to stop doing the PSA. And what happened was a huge surge in undiagnosed prostate cancer because no, the doc stopped doing it. It was, it's one of the most idiotic things I've ever heard of. And you just do it twice to be sure. Well, here's what I tell men is at age 40, 40, I tell men 40 because it takes us a good five years to get off our ass. (laughs) <laughs> About 45, make sure you get your PSA scored so that you have to demand it from your doctor. You're in charge of your health. I mean, we trust our doctors, but you are in charge of your health, and that's the biggest lesson cancer has taught me. You're the you're the general manager of your health. You pick your team. You pick your coach, which is your doctor, and you pick who's on your team, and you kick everyone off that isn't going to be part of your positive experience. If they're not going to help you win, you get them out of your life. Um get that baseline score. Know what your PSA. Some guys have a higher PSA, some guys have a really low PSA. Get the baseline score. So, in 5 years, in 10 years, if your PSA comes back at 5, and 6 is the red alert, 3 to 5, 3 to 6 is cautionary, and below 3 is okay. If if your score then comes back at 5, but your baseline was no, it didn't move that much. There may be something going on. Let's keep an eye on it. But if you were a 0, you know, 0.2, and now you're at 5, this is problems. So get that baseline score. Score your PSA regularly. It's part of your – when they take blood, they can just check another box. There might be some out-of-pocket because your insurance sucks. But believe me, to get an undiagnosed – Any kind of cancer is bad news. You got to catch it as soon as possible. And unfortunately, mine was so hyper aggressive. If we hadn't by chance caught it, because I swear to God, my dad whispered in our ears, go get, go get some more insurance. Go get that insurance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd be dead. If we had waited another two months, I'd be dead. That's how aggressive mine was. We caught it at the last possible moment, because if we had even if I had scheduled my surgery instead for July third, August first, it'd be in my bones, and I'd be almost incurable. But it's one hell of a battle. So um, yeah, go get your PSA score. Don't mess with it. You are not tougher. Even if you're an old fart farmer who wakes up at age 75 and still works eight hours a day in the field, you are not tougher than untreated cancer, period. Hey, it's Fitz. Let's hit the pause button right here and take a little break.
3: Selling a little or a lot? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast, all lowercase. Go to Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Odyssey Podcast.
4: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today.
2: Let's talk about uh, the vaccine and how that's kind of lifted some weight off of your shoulders. I know that that was, what, January? You were one of the the first groups to get it. So, I mean, just how that? How does it feel, man, to be kind of back to normal?
1: Well, here's the thing is I just mentioned this and, and I don't mean this to be political and I, I please don't take it that, but you're in charge of your health. So everyone has to make their decision on, on a vaccine. And, and I have some pretty strong views on all of that because this isn't a vaccine. They call it a vaccine. It's not a vaccine by scientific definitions. It is something totally different. I find it intriguing because what this does, to the best of my understanding, is there was a doctor that did a great explanation for it. So, excuse my language, but this is how he explained it. That this COVID-19, this SARS, whatever the, the actual scientific term is, has a specific protein attached to it that... Helps it invade your cells. He called it the asshole protein. And he's the troublemaker. He he lets it into your cells, and then it starts the cascading effect for those of us who have underlying conditions uh, that leads to death. This, quote, vaccine prevents that asshole protein from being an asshole, prevents it from getting into your cells. All the time? No. But now that the vaccine's been around a little bit, it seems to be even more effective than what they initially thought because uh, when I took the vaccine, they said, you're going to still have to wear a mask because you might still have COVID, but it's going to turn it into what it would be for you probably, which is a very you know light cough, you know not many symptoms. You may not even know you have it. And that's what the vaccine should be doing for people like me, but I still might be infectious and give it to someone. That's why you have to wear a mask. Now they're finding out that it really doesn't exist. and. You know, with any vaccine, there's exemptions to that, that exceptions that say, "Hey, um, he was vaccinated but still got it." And people act shocked. Well, What happens with everything? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some vaccines like polio is pretty much eradicated, but there's still people that get their flu shot and the flu. There's only it, one little strain <coughs> of the flu, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it happens. So, uh, but yeah, uh, we talked at the start about the mental anguish mm-hmm. of this pandemic. That second shot – and when I got the call from someone um, that was doing the vaccinations, said, hey, we have extra doses because we've had people opt out or not show. Can you be here in 30 minutes? Here's the paperwork. Yeah, I was there. And then three weeks later, which was the end of January, um, I got the second dose, and it takes a couple of weeks to you know for any vaccine to set in. So it, it just lifted – a huge weight off me mentally. And so, yeah, I've gone back. You know, I don't leave the house because I work here now as much as I'd like to. But we have been to Tanner's. We have been to, you know, Taco Lucha and so long and um, Annie Mays, my favorite haunts in Aggieville. Seeing my friends. And if you don't know, folks, I, I had an office in Aggieville for 16 years. And for a handful of years there, I was the president of the Aggieville Business Association. So that, those are my people. I mean, that, that, those, those business owners are my people. They're fellow entrepreneurs who create their own jobs and create jobs for others, and I love them. So getting out and getting back to see them was great.
2: Mixture of the two with, with the cancer and being obese, obviously I, I get why you didn't go out, but what would you say was the bigger reason that you didn't want to leave your house until – the
1: vaccine, the cancer, or just being obese itself? Um, that's a great question. Uh, it started the cancer, and then as we got into the pandemic and did some more research, it's mm-hmm. o- obesity. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, my age and the fact that I'm, um, and and I hate the BMI because it, the the BMI is a mess. So I don't I don't really trust when they say you know seventy some percent of the people that died from COVID have been obese. Well, uh, look, the BMI had me. Um, to to fit my size and my my body mass, I would have had to have been like nine percent body fat to not be obese. It, the BMI is a mess. But um, as we got into this, anyhow, I I discovered it's I'm fat. This is bad. Um, and so I I paid a lot of attention and. I try to cut through the politics of this thing. This, this has been the worst part of this pandemic is the politics that have used this for various reasons. And we can't have honest conversations anymore about medical treatments. So um, I started doing things that I thought were positive for myself. Um, but, yeah, the vaccine took that huge weight off my shoulders. That I talked about the fear of a catheter. I am <laughs> deadly afraid of a ventilator. I mean, uh, every one of my family has a instructions that I'm claustrophobic. And uh, with a gag reflex, really bad one. So if I'm on a vent, you better have me under. Uh, and you know I've been on a vent for surgeries, so I I've had it there. But you better have me under, or I'll freak out. Um, so yeah, I was I was really afraid of it. Yeah, and once you get on that that ventilator, if that's the last straw, it's it's really,
2: hard to get off. Really
1: bleak. Yeah, my my acquaintance Russ Stange, um, whose son is on the on the football team, former mm-hmm. football player. He had stopped by the house to drop off some CBD products for me because he was a rep for a new company. Um, And he was really careful with me. But Russ also was a former offensive lineman. He wasn't nearly as obese as me, but he was overweight. And he's no longer with us because COVID got him. It was just horrible. Mm -hmm. How did you cope? I guess let's
2: go back now to when you were locked down because you didn't have me. I know I'm pretty and sexy, but. I know. I know. What'd you do? The Life of Fitz podcast. Honestly, yeah.
1: Yeah, but I I did probably call and talk to buddies a lot. Um, We joke a lot on our regular podcast about these dogs. and Mm -hmm. They've been incredible for me. I mean, Daphne is as nuts as she is scared of strangers. She was just running around barking at you for no reason. Um, She's like a magnet. She's been at my side since the diagnosis. I mean, she's like... Right there with me whenever things are tough, and and dude's just a big goofball that makes you laugh, and you know all the time he's something else. So yeah, the dogs. Start of the pandemic, gills. People said be careful with your dogs because if you're home all the time, they might get too attached to you. Bullshit! It was the opposite, man. It was I'm too attached to these dogs. We we went on vacation to Orlando, and we're flying. I'm like I miss the dogs. Why 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 can't we go somewhere with the dogs? So yeah, they they've got me through a lot. Yeah. I miss Tanner as well. They're, they're good.
2: They're good breeds. Yeah. They're, they're smart. They're, Even though I, Daphne hates me.
1: Daphne doesn't hate you. She just, the she The other day just,
2: she let me pet her. Now I know. She won't she, let me get
1: near her. She has trust issues. Uh, yeah. All of our dogs are rescues, So you adopt other people's mm-hmm. problems. And well, dude had no problems. Yeah. Dude's a little bit different. He was surrendered to us from a family that couldn't manage him because yeah. they didn't have a big enough place for a 60 pound standard poodle. Um, So he's been a godsend. He's, he's pretty normal. He loves people. Daphne was verbally abused. So she is scared of everyone, particularly men.
2: We'll switch gears here and talk about some sports, some K-State sports. I know you're one of the biggest, if not the biggest expert on, on K-State sports. How do you kind of assess where football and basketball
1: are right now? It's hard. I mean, it really genuinely is difficult because of the pandemic, Um, and I know people got really sick of hearing about it. You know what I mean? They, Mm -hmm. it, it kind of was a built in excuse, but it was also reality for what was going on in our society. And it's hard to assess where they're really at. I'm not as worried about football as other people. Now, do I think they're going to win 10 games next year? No, but I got a buddy who swears they are going to win like four at the most, Hmm. you know, that, that last year was the sign of the downward turn. It was the Ron Prince you know, the the cycle. Win with coaches, players get sneak in a bowl and then start going downhill. Um, I don't think that's what's going on, but uh, I think football is going to be fine. I think they're going to be entertaining. Um, getting Skylar Thompson back is huge. Basketball I'm still concerned about, but I think they improve themselves and just getting older will improve themselves. And Honestly, I looked it up. It was the only combined year of losses, Hmm. losing seasons in football and basketball since, I think, 1990. Hmm. Um, And so it's not good for business either. I mean, I'm I'm worried about the fan base. The pandemic's like, and I'm sure Gene Taylor, athletics director, is too. Look, I just watched sports from home for a full year. I saved money on tickets and travel and tailgating and donations and da-da-da-da-da. I think I'll stay home from now on. I'm I'm worried of what happens to sports. Staying home as in? Like not going to games. Yeah. So, um, you know, the good news is is I haven't gone on the road with football yeah. for three. Years. I didn't go to any sporting events this year. I did everything from home. But I haven't gone on the road now since, you know, my diagnosis. So, three years. Yeah, I didn't go 18, 19, 20 on the road with football. But I'm going to go back on the road this year because mm-hmm. I'm feeling so much better. Heck, yeah. That'll be good. I hate traveling, though. I'm a 300 plus pound man. So when we have to fly, I'm miserable. That
2: was back in what? September when go power cat, we lost our offices. Yeah. That was a weird
1: Mm -hmm. thing, man. I was, you, that's how I met Cole Carmody. The other new guy is he was a buddy of yours and came helping us move. So we were in Aggieville for 16 years and I loved that office. and. you know, But I moved into that office when I was in my 30s and moved out when I was in my 50s. That's a pretty good cycle right there. Um, and parking and just all the stuff that goes with being in a bar district kind of wore me out eventually. So we moved downtown into some really cool offices. And um, part of it was trying to save some money. And we were sharing space with another business. And then one year into our three-year lease, that business moved out, left us the entire space. And the landlords kindly let us take it over for hardly any bump in our rent. So we were getting a good deal. We, me and my buddy, Toby uh, finished out studios and it was really cool. It's fourth and Leavenworth. I think our neighbors were Bockers, the catering company that was just to the side of us at the, the iconic corner. If you've ever been in Manhattan, you know, the rounded windows at fourth and Leavenworth. We love that office. It was cool, but we don't really need an office. We need a space and we have it here now. So it was an ongoing financial expenditure that most publishers in in my industry don't have. Um, I thought it was important and it was important. We always viewed our office as a billboard. Are you going to buy advertising, a billboard? Well, when we were in Aggieville, we were the billboard, having the space. Every student knew, oh, let's go Powercat or Powercat Illustrated, our former magazine, which we shut down like most print products. So we get into the pandemic, and and then we're in the last year of our lease, and I'm not going to the office ever, ever. And unfortunately, after the pandemic hits, we go through a uh, previously scheduled contract adjustment with 24-7. So we've got a a revenue cut that meant we got to give up the office or we have to find a smaller, less expensive space. And so our lease was up and the landlord. The building had sold to a new, new owner, but, but the management company stayed. And they said, look, the owner says you can stay if you want. And I said, well, we're going to look around just in case. Um, Cause I knew they had plans for the building to which they responded. Oh, if you're going to look around, we're going to go ahead and enforce the end of your lease, which was September 30th. <clears throat> And I'm like, that's what a jerk move. <laughs> but it's a blessing. I yeah. mean, they're building a bank down there now. They took over the space. They wanted it, and now we don't have that expense. So it's it's been uh, weird. But mm-hmm. and here I am in the middle of a pandemic when I'm hardly leaving the house, and I had to go help you and you know had zach was there and becky a little bit uh my wife and but you and some buddies loaded up the u-haul and moved us into a storage unit so it was it was strange man it was a mm-hmm. weird time but yeah we still have that storage unit I got a lot of cool stuff i probably need to to sell or rehome and uh yeah, uh, there we are. We're just uh, mm-hmm. kind of plugging away now, working out of home, saving some money, and and I love it. I, this this is cool space. That this what we're in right now is an old bedroom that we never use. We don't have children. It's a downstairs bedroom, and it's big. And so I have video area, podcasting area, and man cave area. Basically, where dudes currently laying on the couch, <laughs> spot, with a forty two inch screen TV, and it's a good setup. I've never seen that on. Yeah, well, why would we have it on during podcasts? <laughs> yes. We can. Uh-huh. It's funny. We, down in our studios, downtown, we had a TV in our podcast studio and I think it was on twice. <laughs> <It> was
2: on <laughs> twice. Yeah. I was, I was never really mentally impacted by the pandemic. You no, know, I was young and I don't think I lost any, anyone that I even knew to COVID. But when I saw you and Zach, just look at the, that office for the last time, that really kind of hit me and, I I felt super sad for you guys. It was like you were losing something, but you kind of nailed it
1: on the head. This place is awesome. Yeah, I mean, you don't really need the office. The, the worst part about losing the office was, by our standards, we put a lot of money in the office. We went in yeah, it wasn't five figures. It was very nice. It was low. We we did everything cheap but cool. Has been my slogan since the day we moved to Aggieville. We had cool offices down there. The ones downtown were even cooler because mostly the offices, the structure, physical structure, is really cool. But yeah, we had a really nice little podcast studio and a cool set for our video series that we were doing called The Power Chat. I don't know if we'll ever resume that. I, I don't know. You know, We could probably arrange some stuff here, but it would be a little bit awkward. So. <laughs>
2: hey, Coach, just walk down my stairs, ignore the dogs, and we'll be at the office.
1: Yeah, the dogs are going to have to start being kenneled a little bit more. I think they, they probably reality needs to set in for them a little bit better. <clears throat>
2: I remember when I first met you, we talked about the future of just sports journalism and media and stuff like that. Do you think that that kind of went into you know the decision to move out as well? I know you didn't really have a decision, but to accept it you know because you don't need to be in there anymore now that you can do everything dude,
1: we're seeing from home? as newspapers downsize as can see stars and it, yep. giving up really cool spaces because now they can just work out of smaller spaces, and the pandemic hits, and more more reporters are probably like. Do I really need to come to the office? I mean, I can do everything I do on my laptop at home and then go do my reporting. Mm-hmm. I'm glad I don't own business property because there's a lot of businesses that are discovering I don't need this office space. But yeah, this industry has evolved so much. Now, I feel old. I mean, I mean that from my life experiences, I'm running into things now that you have no understanding of. When I started at the Salina Journal in 1989, and I was working on the desk doing the layout and design of them, I did some writing. I covered high school sports for a brief period, but mostly one of my strengths is layout and design, which fed into why I think PowerCat Illustrator was a pretty cool product. But I was sending things to a machine that would print it out so the back of it could be waxed, so then uh, a union guy in the back could literally paste up a sheet of paper a big, you know, newspaper size thing. You put in the headlines by hand onto a paper, and then that would get scanned and and printed onto a plate for printing. I mean, we're waxing everything, and then we got into pagination, which you know moved things forward, which was laying out on a computer, very basic at the time. And I was on, I was there. I mean, I earned an uh, owned an Apple very early. I was learning to paginate very early, and uh, I was both feet in. But now you think about it. We went through the cycle. That magazine existed for 19 years. Never was profitable, by the way. Um, Early on, it made enough money because uh, our subscriptions took off that it kept us afloat. But the website has always supplemented it, and eventually the website carried it. And Becky and I are still in debt from the end of the magazine. I kept it alive way too long. It, the product went from a tabloid newspaper print. It was stapled. It was cool. It was good. But it was still newspaper print color. You know how that's different than a glossy. Then we went glossy and printed it out of uh, through a broker and slant out of Denver. And um, it looked awesome. I was really proud of that magazine. But it hemorrhaged money for you know those four or five years. It was a big mistake. Should have shut it down. Um, and like I said, you know, unfortunately, some subscribers lost money um, on it. But we gave them offered them comp time on the website, and nobody lost. I mean, it's like twenty bucks. I think the average we worked out was like nineteen bucks, um, and offered them far more compensation on the website side. But that side of the business, I mean, we were at six figures in the hole. Wow. So I'm sorry to anyone who lost money, but there was, and why didn't you give refunds? Well, if we had the money for refunds, we wouldn't have gone out of business. That's do you not understand how. So it, it, uh, it, about took the company down totally. And us financially personally, what would you say? This is a little going back to what you were talking about earlier has been
2: the best time as you look back at your career. And I'm assuming that the success of K state sports probably had a big impact on it, but what, what's what been your favorite kind of couple of year span that you had over your career?
1: I'm curious. That's yeah, it's good. Uh, you know, it's it's been funny looking back. There's never been thriving basketball and football together. You know, when, when Bill Snyder was really raging, things were incredible. Those early years, when we moved to Aggieville in 2000, so that 98, uh, his first retirement through '03, the Big 12 championship, that was a that was an unbelievable time. It was unbelievable. Business was growing, growing so much that we moved out of our house that we'd been in for a year and a half and went to Aggieville and started paying rent and, you know, and that was really fun. And then Ron Prince came around. That was a nightmare. It was horrible for business. And then Coach came back and that was kind of good. But we had the Gary Patterson thing in the middle of that in which, you know, I still stand by the reporting of that. Um, uh, unfortunately, the offer got screwed up and... He stalled and wanted more time, and they immediately, President Wheatfield said, well, we're hiring Bill Snyder then. We're not waiting. We're going to hire Bill Snyder. Because if you listen to Coach, he did not want to come back. They talked him into it. And the reason they talked him into it was we just put all of our eggs in Gary Patterson, and he's now him-hawing around. Mm -hmm. But I've learned this, Gills. This is the weirdest thing that I never expected. As you get some success and some notoriety, some people just despise you. For no real foundation reason. Mm-hmm. They just, and if they, if you give them something to latch onto like that, oh my God, they become purely obsessed. Um, and it's a weird thing about being a public figure. Keep in mind, I mentioned the old school way I was going through things. Well, when I got into the newspaper, he didn't even do talk radio. When I did talk radio for the first time, I had to talk to my boss and he did not understand why I was on the competition promoting their radio signal when that's their advertising competition. So that's how far the industries has come. So you don't, you didn't get into newspaper back then to be a star. I mean, maybe you had some notoriety in the local paper, but being so well-known was not on the agenda. When I got into journalism, social media was nowhere to be found. Doing talk radio was nowhere to be found. So for my generation, this evolution of being so visible through talk radio, now I do a TV show. Um, I just finished my 15th year of doing a, a TV show, which is incredible. That That's just bizarre to me, man. I mean, we, I never expected it. So it's been hard to make that adjustment to being so visible and everyone knows who you are. Um, and because you get into the industry now, you, you know kind of what you're getting into. You, you know you have to manage your social media. But I had to learn how to do social media just like a, a 14 year old kid learn has to learn now mm-hmm. um, and they they probably are more equipped to know how to do it than I was so I made some big mistakes and um, but just having that there's still people out there that I have never met I have no understanding of why they hate me so much but it's almost like I killed their dog it's just it's a very very strange thing some people just and want somebody to hate and get uh, mad at. Yeah. Well, the, the biggest question I always got, and literally when in the early days of Twitter, well, I don't understand why you get to do this, and I don't. And I said, well, I went to school for journalism, <laughs> and I and <laughs> invested my time in learning my craft. And then, and this is the biggest step, I gambled all of our financial well-being on not working for someone else and starting my own company with the help of investors. Mm-hmm. That's why, that's why, why does the restaurant owner get to own the restaurant and, you know, have this cool place and everyone's in there at bar and having a good time? Why do they get to do it? Because they have the balls to try. And usually the people that are the most, um, critical and hateful towards you don't have the balls to try. So they're mad at themselves because they aren't able to take the risk. Well,
2: Fitz, Mr. Boss, man. Did I take time with you or did you take time with me? I'm kinda confused I don't know what here. happened.
1: Here. I don't know. This was weird. This was kinda <laughs> old school. I love to. I love being a guest yeah. on other people's radio shows because I can call cause chaos and then hang up. <laughs> like I have a lot of fun. Um I'm on a couple of Sirius XM Big Twelve shows. But um yeah, I have a lot of fun hopping on there and just causing chaos for 15 minutes and getting off. Uh, but because I think I think stuff should be fun. And this has been pretty heavy, but uh, we try to have fun at Go Cat, and it, it's sports gills. We cover sports. Mm-hmm. That's what I do for a living. So kind of wrapping up what we've said. Why do I get to do it? I don't know, man, but I'm blessed. I'm blessed and everywhere. I'm still alive. I've still got a business. I still get to meet people like you and all the young people that have been in my life. I mean, what a blessing to work in a college town, have friends that are 18. My wife works at a retirement community to, well, we just had a friend pass away that was 100 years old. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, we were really close with her. So it's a blessed life despite all that's gone on. And I guess the way to wrap this up, Gills, is... Just keep moving forward, man. Yep. Everyone's rooting for you. Shit happens. It doesn't matter if it's big or it's little or shit happens and you might fight depression like I do, but you just got to keep going forward and knowing that the sun will come up no matter how long the night, how cold the night, um, the sun will come up. Yep. You might've noticed something missing from this episode of the life of it's podcast. At the start of every podcast, after I do my open and I set everything up and I explain who we're going to talk to, I literally call the person the phone rings so you didn't have the ringing. There might be some other episodes this year where we actually do them in studio here at the house. Some people that might be local. So no ringing phone at the start of this edition of the Life of Fitz podcast. Thank you, Ryan Gilbert, for doing a great job interviewing uh, me. He's a great young man and another in a long line. That's one of the coolest things I've experienced in 20-plus years of doing this are the incredible young people that have been part of this, played a big role in our success and are perpetuating a business. They've gone on to great things. You know, They're kind of scattered about. Some have left the industry or doing other things, but... They've all been meaningful and important, and it's been really cool. And you know, I had D. Scott Friction at my side for 20 years. As part of this endeavor, and unfortunately during the pandemic, that had to come to an end, but he's moved on to some really cool stuff, including writing a book about Bill Snyder that will be out later this fall. Well, we will plunge into weekly editions of The Life of Fits from here on through the summer, probably, leading up to football. Please join us weekly as we dish out my conversations with those I know, and this year, some people I'd like to know. And again, this is how I always end it. Folks, make sure if you know a man or you are a man, 45 or older, go get your PSA scored. Take care, everyone.
4: Okay, picture this.